Hello, welcome to Why Did Peter Sink? This is a new series, and this first one is called Reading the Bible Through the Lens of Professional Wrestling. Let's get started. Do you know what I really like about the Old Testament? It's what a lot of people hate about it. But I think most people hate it because they don't read it with the four senses of Scripture, which are, briefly, the literal and the spiritual, which, which splits into three, which would be the moral, allegorical, and anagogical, or how it relates to Jesus. But I'm not going to talk about the four senses of Scripture. I'm going to talk about how people read the Old Testament and why they hate it. So a lot of people read it um, like they pluck out one line and hold it up like a dead rat and say, look what I found. Look at how awful this book is. Can you see this thing? And I like doing this too when I was dead before the change happened. But readers do this plucking of the rat without understanding the larger structure because rats exist even in the most beautiful buildings. The Chrysler building surely has some rats in it, but we don't go to New York to see the rodents. What I like about the Old Testament is that the characters are not portrayed as perfect. They all sin, every single one of them. In fact, they are portrayed as human, very human. And this is why I think so many people stumble while reading the Old Testament. They are expecting spotless heroes, just like we expect in our politicians now. And in the growing honor-shame culture of America, we forgot how to read. We forgot nuance. We're like children who need one cowboy in a white hat and one in a black hat, so we know who is good and bad in the Bible. But the Bible is more like Shakespeare than your average TV drama. Grey's Anatomy and Chicago Fire have the depth of a baby pool, but the Bible goes down to the Mariana Trench in our souls. And this is why I see professional wrestling everywhere today. Every news organization has its saints and its villains, just as the WWE does with its wrestling characters, such as the clean-cut John Cena versus the Greasy Undertaker. And those are a little dated names now, but well-known names for anyone who knows anything about wrestling. And this is also why I think of pro wrestling as a more serious endeavor than most modern news and politics, because wrestling doesn't pretend to be what it's not. It doesn't pretend at any other motive than entertainment, and is, it's a satire on our own prideful lust for power. And thus, it is pure, it is pure in its absurdity. It's ridiculous. And I don't watch it regularly because I don't watch TV much at all, but I find it more authentic than what our media and politicians are pretending at. And pro wrestling is the days of our lives, the soap opera for boys and some men like me. But I, well, I know that it's entertainment and I can appreciate it that way. So maybe what I want to go toward in this series is there's a fifth sense of reading scripture in that you must read it in terms of power. This is a popular topic all, at all times in human history. More specifically, though, you have to read it under the light of living in fear versus living in trust. And I'll use pro wrestling here to describe what I mean, but you could use whatever sport you like, like battle bots or pickleball instead, professional pickleball, if that's your thing, or cornhole, whatever, um, beanbag toss, uh, whatever you like. But here's the thing. When your last day arrives... There is much at stake in the outcome as of presidential politics as there is when, say, the wrestler King Woods, my personal favorite wrestler, lost his crown to the evil Roman Reigns. On your last day, who wins the presidency will have as much 
impact on your particular judgment as who is the world champion and holds the belt in wrestling. And I know this sounds extreme, but hear me out. Modern geopolitics is every bit as much smoke and mirrors as Monday Night Raw or Friday Night Smackdown. No, let me, let me correct that. Geopolitics must use far more smoke and mirrors since wrestling's kingdom is in a patchwork of rented arenas around the country and the TV broadcast uses very focused camera shots on small crowds assembled tightly so that it appears to be large. The illusion of importance is key when you're watching wrestling and the illusion is also there when you're watching politics and things. So this is a modern sacrilege to say because I don't venerate politicians. So to say that politics is not that important will trigger people because it is perhaps the most worshipped idol of the 21st century and the 20th, honestly. But let me be first in line to disrespect the modern world's sacred cows. Um, If there's a list to be on for sedition against the current ideologies, I'd like to be in that database. Uh, I don't worship politicians or celebrities or movements that reject uh, right worship and non-heretical faith in Christ. And I may be many things, and I've committed many sins, but I don't intend to take my last breath um, in, a, in a state of apostasy for, to the one true king. So when America goes the way of ancient Sumeria and Rome or the Mayan Empire or Imperial Spain, nothing will change in terms of who is the real power over us all, for there is only one. And if the 50 states in America are balkanized and disunited into 50 nations, the same king will remain. Division is ugly, but it will happen at some point because we've already allowed the accuser and deceiver into our nations, into our cities, our houses, and our own hearts. The spirit of a nation can obey obey God or reject God. And nations choose their course just like individual people choose their actions. Free will is the gift God grants for us to choose our own ending, if you will. In either case, for a person or for a nation, the choice to turn to God must be made. And of course, it all starts on the personal level. The more citizens who turn away from God, the more a nation will turn away. Thus, whether it is President Biden or President Trump or whoever, they will have my respect as the manager of America, like the manager of McDonald's, because I learned long ago to give respect to the rank rather than the person who wears the rank, but no president is the ultimate authority. That's what I'm getting at. So I can render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but I don't care who Caesar is if he rejects God. If he or she leads us into temptation and delivers us unto evil, there we must part ways. A Caesar who thinks power is God or denies the existence of a living God cannot be followed when it comes to decision time because The ultimate decision that we must make is not about this life, but eternal life. So if our social managers, presidents and prime ministers, turn away from God, then believers cannot play the game of follow the leader any longer, for there is only one leader of all earthly leaders, and that is God. That's what Jesus says at the ascension. All power in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said, also said, follow me. This implies a choice and not a forced march either. Follow me as an invitation. This has been established as the way, as Jesus said, we we must follow him and not earthly power, but he leaves us the choice. The Bible is full of examples on how to do this as well when the time comes. Um, From the three stubborn uh, boys that Nebuchadnezzar threw into the furnace in in the famous um, 
furnace scene where there's a fourth person in the furnace. We also have the Maccabee brothers who are getting killed one by one and will not renounce their faith in the one God. Um, to every apostle and every martyr in church history, we have so many examples to review and emulate in what they call the martyrology of the church, which we don't read as much as we should really anymore. Most obviously, Jesus himself showed the way. And Peter, too, even spells it out in Acts 5 when they were arrested for violating the speech codes and thought crime of first century Jerusalem. So you should immediately see parallels of this today as we're once again instructed not to teach in his name, teach in this name of Jesus, um, as it is said to be a microaggression or it's colonialist or it's offensive. It's, it goes right back to Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5. And of course, Peter says, sorry, not sorry. We have a higher authority than human resources or the online mob. So this is Acts 5, verses 27 to 32. And when they had brought them, the apostles, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles, apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So for us, understanding where the real power lies is critical. And it is not in things like pro wrestling or presidents. It's not in prime ministers. It's not in Congress. It's not even in the nation with the most Navy destroyers and nuclear warheads. And this is where a disconnect happens for people in misunderstanding how to read the Bible. There's a disconnect between those who worship the government and those who worship God. How you rank power structures changes everything in how you view the world. And for everyone who preaches on power differentials today, they almost always have their ranking out of order because God is never, ever mentioned in their ranking, the absence of which makes their entire preaching moot and empty of meaning. This is why every ideology fails in the end when it tries to assume authority and dictate its version of morality. The reason why it has no authority, it has nothing solid as a foundation. So oddly, we cannot know God fully or comprehend the idea of God, and we can't fully know his ways, yet God still gives bedrock to our lives here in this material world where we live within time and space with our bodies. Um, this is because we can know that he is infinitely greater than us and all his creation, yet we also know that he is wired right into our bodies and minds and souls somehow. What the idea of God does for us is to stop the nightmare of infinite regress where we keep asking oh yeah what came before the earth what came before the universe what came before god how do you know god was the last thing what came before god it stops at god the creator that's the thing you know interestingly the band acdc had a pair of songs that i think illustrate this point they had highway to hell and who made who and i think they're related songs because as soon as you start to question the creator of all things and who made you, then you are actually suddenly on the highway to hell, which is just separation from God. I truly cannot stress enough how important the concept of God being the first thing that of anything, the very first thing 
is for your mental health. <laughs> There's a lot of discussion around mental health. God created the world, the universe, out of nothing, ex nihilo. This is an extremely important concept, and I don't think a lot of us really grasp it. I certainly didn't. Um, but if you've heard the saying, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's essential to know that fear in this context really refers to wonder and awe, um, which is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, actually. So if you lose that wonder and come to believe that chaos was first before God, then you have a different kind of fear, and it's, you want to take control. And you have everything else that comes along with that, like depression and lust and greed and, you know, all of the deadly sins. But most importantly for this series is the need for power. That's what I want to talk about. So in our world, we think of power as rank in society. What is our rank? You cannot make it through basic training in the military without coming to know what respecting the rank means. Um, that saying of render unto, unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, as Jesus said, kind of plays into this. It sums up the idea. We have a duty to obey the law. Paying taxes is right and just so long as the nation is right and just. And for a nation to be worthy of obedience, however, this duty only applies if the nation doesn't violate the real law, the natural law, the commandments, or the law... If it asks us to reject Jesus's command to follow me, then we can't follow that law. You can even distill this down right to natural law if you're not inclined to religion. And plenty of atheists believe in natural law because it can be arrived at by reason and plenty of other atheists deny it. And lots of religious people live like it doesn't exist too. But natural laws should be the basis for national laws. But if national laws demand abandonment of natural law, which comes from God, the first thing, then we have an uncrossable chasm. And at that point, our loyalty must be unequivocally pointed toward God and not a president or any founding document, no matter how yellow and venerable it looks. Within any nation, there is a battle going on, just as there is within every heart. And this war is a spiritual one. Now, as for the concerns of the day, these pro wrestling things in the news, um, from the COVID tales about the bat to uh, who blew up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline to how should we react to the Russia-Ukraine war, these are all secondary to the kingdom of God. This sounds insensitive, but it's actually the most sensitive thing you can do because all of the news of the day is not seeking the city of God, it's seeking the city of man. The kingdom of God is among us. We are told that by Jesus but are we looking for it? If it's among us, that means we should be able to find it. And are we living in it? The kingdom of God is here. It's here, but also not yet, not fully. So that's a hard concept to grasp, maybe even harder than the ex nihilo God created out of nothing idea. The kingdom will come, yet it's here. So wait, what? It's among us. The kingdom will come. It's also here. What's going on? Clearly, the worldly things impact bodies and souls, but still Christ says the kingdom is among us. And that's because he is the kingdom. He's the way, the path, the gate, the living water, the bread, the priest, the prophet, the king. And one of the strangest things is to realize that the promised Messiah would bring a kingdom to earth here among us. And for those who look around and say, he must not have been the Messiah. Where is this kingdom? But the kingdom is here. It's the church. 
the body of Christ exists and it has existed since Pentecost. The church is in all nations, as promised. And as promised, the violent and fearful try to topple it constantly. In every generation, the church is attacked, but it rebounds, it retreats, reforms, and it repeats. Christ said the kingdom is under attack. From Matthew 11, he said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violence, violent take it by force. The presidents and prime ministers and Caesars and educators and whoever else can all take a number, get in line. They're all trying to take, they're all trying to force or take the power of the kingdom of heaven. And so the church is the kingdom of the counterculture of Christ because his kingdom is built on a different foundation from that of all other kings and clubs and governments. And this is the kingdom where trust is greater than fear because at the root of all power politics is fear. At the root of all pride is fear. The idea of fig leaves should ring a bell here for you. And this is the way that Jesus intends for us to see the world in trust rather than fear. And any worldly king that doesn't recognize the real king and source of earthly power must reject God in favor of his power, which requires fear to remain to maintain it. And who should our trust be in? It should not be in a worldly power. It should not be in promises from people or maybe a serpent. Uh, ultimate trust must be in one thing and one thing only, and that is the creator who made us for him to be loved by him. When we understand that we are created, then we know that our needs will be met by God if we trust in him. And this is why Jesus needs so little. Um, he's, he's never worried or concerned until the Garden of Gethsemane, really. Uh, he's in the boat when it's getting swamped and they're all going to die. Um, there, and he's, he's sleeping in the boat with the apostles. And then he just stands up and says, be still to the water. But he doesn't worry about other things. He tells us to look at the lilies of the field. Consider the lilies of the field, he says. And he says, they are adorned greater than King Solomon. They have everything they need. We also have everything they, that we need. And give us this day our daily bread is kind of the equivalent of saying, consider the lilies of the field. They have the sunlight for their food. If we receive our bread for the day, we should really be content. Um, he also uses King Solomon as an example uh, when he's comparing him to the flowers because King Solomon had more money and, and, and wives and everything than anyone, but the lilies are more beautiful than he was. Um, you could also say the same thing about my favorite wrestler, King Woods. He has a great crown. I put him as the picture of this article, um, of this post, because he's cool. But he's actually a caricature of all of us seeking power in this world. Um, the beauty of creation far exceeds our human fashion and pomp and circumstance. He reminds us, Jesus reminds us that we only need to request our daily bread, which is Christ himself, the bread of life. And furthermore, he says... He has another great saying about this, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He's also the greatest poet of all time. But So foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Yet, does Jesus sound concerned about this lack of money or shelter? No, he doesn't. And this is really radical. It's extreme. And he's right. It's funny because he's basically telling us the opposite of for anyone who went to school in the 90s or 
with the Abraham Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs and the self-actualization stuff where um, Jesus is like, yeah, you don't need all that. You don't need any of that. Um, all that psycho humanist stuff. Um, yeah, you don't need that. He's teaching the opposite of like Abraham Maslow. Anyway, um, it's stunning for us to hear such a thing that you just need your daily bread. And especially for those who grew up in a time of plenty. Um, we've we've heard of, you know, Tony Robbins kind of style, will to power, or um, the famous Anthony Kennedy, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy's argument that we can shape the universe into our own image and likeness. Jesus says no to all of them. Jesus says, stop trying to create the world and trust in God who already created it. But it's worth noting, it's worth noting here, if foxes have dens and birds have nests, the fox still has to dig out its den and a bird must create its nest. They don't just pray um, and, and a nest appears or a den is, digs itself out. Um, the abandonment to divine providence does not mean that you need, that you can just sit there. You know, it doesn't mean you can lay around all day so you can be spiritual all the time. Rather, it means fulfilling the duties to your station in life and letting all other worries be offered up to God. It means living for God like a fox or a bird glorifies creation by doing what is proper for them. A fox or bird has total trust in the creator, yet these animals still must perform their work. See, they're not fallen like we are. They, they do their, their roles and their duties the best they can. Um, they know what to do. Uh, a nest doesn't build itself. A den won't dig itself. And thus work is good as are the created things themselves, so long as they are used rightly. And we are no different. And this is the heart of the teaching of the church based on what Jesus said to his followers. Bodies are not bad. Work is not bad. We are fallen and compromised, but can be redeemed. And all of us, every human being has sufficient grace on offer, this open-ended gift that can be the ladder we use to climb to heaven. Fear is not what foxes and birds rely on. They live freely, really, like children, and trust in their creator. Only humans fear and prepare to fight in a zero-sum game because of the fall. And we can prove our fears by simply turning on the news and see the fingerprints of original sin everywhere. Fear is why we build highways and bombs and smartphones, because we don't think God will provide for us. And if we cling to our lives instead of God, then we begin to be fearful. And that is when power becomes the game. And it is a game of total obsession once it begins. Kind of like what you see with pro wrestlers. Okay, so I have four more parts of this series, maybe more. Um, and we'll talk about other things like reading the Bible in the light of protein folding and um, a little more pro wrestling and a few other topics because there's a lot of ways to read the Bible. And sometimes we have to think of them in modern metaphors, modern things that we see so that we can get a better idea of it. Um, sometimes there's things we read that are really seem outdated. So anyway, hope you had fun with this one. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening.